Good morning. I am Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net, located on the beautiful campus of Seton Hall University, located in South Orange, New Jersey. Well, we're very pleased to have a first-time author on our program today, Mr. Mike Smith, who is the author of the book, It's All About Leadership, and it is a team sport. Mike, welcome to the program, and thank you for interrupting your extremely busy day uh, to join us to talk to us about your book and your insights on leadership. Well, thank you so much for having me. It, I'm, I'm honored. Uh, you know, way out here in West Texas, we've heard of Seton Hall, and I'm just privileged to be a part of it. Thank you. Well, I tell you, Seton Hall, uh, we, 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 we do have a bit of a basketball program. Unfortunately, our football program was canceled back in 1979. I think it was my junior year here. Uh, but you got a lot of exciting football going on in there in Texas. Oh, absolutely. We are a football state. But you guys just have such a great reputation in everything. And I'm just privileged for you to for let me have a little opportunity to participate. Well, you know, we met through our mutually good friend, uh, Mr. Michael Johnson, who uh, uh, is going to be on the program as well. And I'm so pleased that uh, Michael has launched his publishing company and and is the the publishing the publisher of of your book. But before we jump into your book, can you share with our audience the highlights of your your education experience and background? And how did you come to write the book Leadership? It's all about leadership and it is a team sport. Well, I I grew up in a family of educators. Uh public education is the family business. My wife's a teacher, my parents were teachers, my mother-in-law was a teacher. Uh, my father-in-law is a school board member. My brother is an administrator. Uh, that's what we do. We are educators. Um, we also grew up running a summer camp and, and a river rafting company out west of Taos, New Mexico. I was a, a coach, enjoyed coaching and working with young people a lot, but began to realize that I just wanted to make a bigger influence and have a bigger circle. And so went back to school, got my master's at Sol Ross down in Alpine, and really, Sol Ross was a great selection for me because I'm a very practical person, and all of the professors there were practitioners. So while we gained a great insight academically and theoretically, we were we were privileged to have practitioners who could tell us how it worked. And and then I was a an elementary or I was a high school assistant principal and an athletic director, and then a middle school principal. And I was superintendent of about four different school districts in the state of Texas. Texas operates a little differently than a lot of states in that each school district is independent. Uh, their school board hires their own superintendent. It is a very political position. And I quickly realized that it really was all about leadership. And I was a little slow to be able to put that into words. And I was superintendent at a school east of Dallas that was the fourth fastest growing school in the state. We grew by over 20% a year for six years. And I had a neighbor superintendent who was older and wiser than I was, and every time I'd seen him, he'd look at me and he'd say, it's all about leadership. And I, I finally got the message, and it really is all about leadership. If you look at any organization uh, today that is successful, it is about the leadership of that organization. Now, not necessarily the CEO, not necessarily the superintendent, not necessarily the president of the company, but it's about the leadership. If you look at the research in public schools, for over 30 years, there's been one single identifying factor that determined the success, and that was the leader on the campus or the district. You can leave the teachers the same and change the leader, 
and the, and the outcomes change, well, positively or negatively. And it works every time. So it really is all about leadership. And something that you said in regards to your background and your experience, you said you, you were involved and taught by practitioners. Why is someone who is a practitioner so important to leadership? Well, you know, we've all seen the book, Everything I Needed to Know About Life I Learned in Kindergarten. Yep. Well, almost everything I needed to know about leadership, I either learned on the ranch or as a JV football coach. When I was a very young JV football coach, I realized that those kids were not the stars. Now, some of them were young, and they were growing, and they were going to become the stars. But right then, they just wanted to be there, and they just wanted to participate. And I also learned that you could take a guard and make them into a quarterback, but you couldn't take a quarterback and make them into a guard. And you don't learn that in a book. You learn that by, by leading people by working with people, by understanding what makes people tick, and by understanding that sometimes the leader on your football team is actually the center, not the quarterback. It doesn't necessarily go with a chair, but it is about practice. And when I had an opportunity to study with very successful school leaders at Sol Ross, it, it was quite apparent. You know, they, they would give us the theory, and here's how it worked, and then we would sit there, and they would tell us, uh, tell stories. They would tell real-life stories about things that happened to them and how they solved this problem and how they led their organization to solve those problems. And then my first position, really, as sole leadership, I was a middle school principal in a, a, a medium-sized district for Texas in the Panhandle. It was pretty rural. They had had quite a few problems in the past and were very low-performing. And, and I was very young. I was 29 years old, and, and I hired a wonderful teacher one day, and, and I... I and checked your references thoroughly, and, and I already knew that you hired based on references, not based on uh, not based on a resume or not based on an interview, because people can tell you things that aren't necessarily true. But I knew she was a great teacher. And we got done with the interview, and at the end of it, she asked me, she said, what does everybody call you? I said, well, everybody calls me Mike. I said, but don't worry, you'll never know, wonder about who's in charge. Because as the year went on, whenever we had a problem that I didn't know how to solve, I would gather her and three or four folks that had a world of experience, and I'd say, all right, here's what we got to do. How do you think we ought to handle it? And nine times out of ten, they had a better solution than I did. They taught me more about leadership in two years than I could have learned anywhere else. But the key thing about being a leader is being able to ask the right question, and that is, that is a phenomenal thing that you just pointed out where the answers lie within the group, but if nobody asks the question, the group won't be able to answer the question. Absolutely. You are absolutely correct. And really, it is all about the questioning. Because even when you have been in a position, a school district, a CEO of a company, uh, leading a, a, an Army squadron, it doesn't matter. Even when that team has been together a lot of times, oftentimes the person that is closest to the problem has the best solution. And if we allow those people to be engaged, then everyone is more committed to it being successful. But when we start telling people how to do things and what to do, then it just doesn't work as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, let's talk about your book. It's all about leadership, and it is a team sport. Um, I get it in regards to why you titled the book It's All About Leadership, 
and I also get it, and it is a team sport. But could you tell our audience why you added in that subtitle, and it is a team sport, to the title of your book? Well, I, I think I can. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, our, our mutual friend Michael Johnson, who I greatly respect, and, and my editor, Melinda Williams, both fussed at me about the length of the title, and I just stubbornly held on to it because I truly do believe leadership is a team sport. And my best example is me. I am not a writer. I, I can't write. If my seventh-grade English teacher knew I had written a book, I promise you, she would believe, swear it was somebody else. But thanks to a great editor and thanks to a lot of help from a lot of folks, we've taken what I am is really just a country storyteller and put these into lessons that I think have some benefit to people and so do other people. But it is a team sport. And it's, it doesn't matter if you're playing football, uh, basketball, um, anything. If, if you're leading an organization, there's, it's impossible for any one person to have all the skills that are necessary for any organization to perform at its best. There are people who are naturally gifted as accountants. There are people who are naturally gifted as artists. And there are people who are naturally gifted as speakers. And, and the leader has to be smart enough to let the speaker speak and the accountant account and the creative person create. Everybody knows who's in charge. Everybody recognizes who the actual leader is. But if you let those people really use their gifts, the organization will be better. But too many times today, we see organizations, and it doesn't seem to matter what size, and it doesn't seem to matter what their financial bottom line is, where the leader, the chief, the CEO, the president, the superintendent, feels like they have to be in front of the camera. They have to have their name on the byline. They have to be the one everybody looks to. And, and the organization works much better if we let the team lead and then only does the leader step forward when there's a need. And, and probably servant leadership teaches us best that, that the servant leader's role is to be the insulator on a fence post. Uh, you know, in Texas, we use a lot of electric fence to keep cattle out. And without an insulator, that electric fence will ground out. But that insulator will keep that fence hot. The insulator keeps the fence hot. It keeps the charge running through that electric wire that keeps the cattle in their pasture. And that's what a leader's role is, just to serve on that insulator, serve as that insulator to keep the charge of the organization, the, the motivation of the organization from grounding out. Let me say that your book is a very succinct, nice read. And I really like, I really love, not like I love, the fact that you have a, a, a piece of scripture in there that about that chapter, and then you have some cowboy wisdom in there as well. Uh, share with our audience your thoughts as to how you blended the writing of the chapter, the Bible scripture, and the cowboy wisdom in each chapter. Well, you know, if we look at if we look in Proverbs it tells us that as, as iron sharpens iron, a man sharpens a man. There's a lot of wisdom. Well, obviously, that's kind of silly. There's a lot of wisdom in Proverbs. Most everything that a leader knows is there. Oftentimes, though, we, we tend to use things that are difficult to understand. Um, I, I was a Spanish teacher. I learned a foreign language later in life. Communication is probably the biggest evil in leadership. So 
we have to communicate in a variety of ways. I, I find that, that Cowboys and, and, you know, out here in West Texas, we, uh, we don't always see Cowboys as the romantic Hollywood version that the rest of the world does. But at the same time, Cowboys have a very succinct, to the point, logical way of speaking. And when you take that cowboy logic, that cowboy wisdom, and you put it with the, the, the biblical references, I think it tends to really speak to almost everyone and just brings it together in a way that almost anybody can understand. And what was the inspiration to write this book? Well, you know, honestly, always as a leader, I would write articles from time to time. I, I, I believe that the organization needs to hear from the leader. Um, you know, the only difference between a lynch mob and a parade is the difference between the leader and the front person. And in the lynch mob, the leader's just running a little bit further out. But if the leader loses sight of the herd and the herd loses sight of the leader, then, then all of a sudden you don't have movement in the same direction. So I have always written articles, and I have, I've put those in a variety of formats. Sometimes they were in a memo to, to the staff. Sometimes they were a word of encouragement to the staff. Sometimes they were a news to the staff. This is what's going on. This is a problem we're facing. Uh, this is how we plan to handle it. Uh, so I've always done that. The first article I wrote is actually the next to the last chapter in this book. Uh, oddly enough, we are not big uh, sports fans at our house. We're more participators than, than fans. But my young son and I watched the national championship game where uh, Colt McCoy was playing for the University of Texas. And it was, it was so apparent that leadership was the cause of that loss. And I'm not being critical of Mac Brown or anybody else. We've all, we've all made mistakes. I, I simply use it as an illustration. When, when Colt went down, the, the team changed. The team was not prepared to go with a different leader, nor was the coaching staff prepared to have a different offensive strategy. The next morning, we were headed to, uh, to take my son to school, and he said, what happened? And, and I said exactly that. I said, son, the team was not prepared for a secession in leadership. And I'd always felt like it was vital that every position – in your organization have a successor. Now, obviously, they can't play every down of a game or they can't be in on every issue that your organization deals with, but they've got to get some experience at non-critical times. And it's not just for them to perform as a leader, but it's all, it's important for the team to have the experience of following that other leader at a non-critical juncture so that when you do have a problem, the, the change in leadership is smooth. So anyway, I wrote the article. I sent it out to about 50 people. It was very rough. I had a little cowboy logic and a scripture to it, and I got encouragement. I received some replies back, and I, I think that's probably the critical piece for leaders is without a little bit of encouragement, it's difficult for any of us to move forward. So the leader's role is to encourage everyone else, and it's the follower's role to encourage the leader. Now, I'm not a big believer in false encouragement or false praise, but there is a need for that. So I sent out the article, mm -hmm. the list grew, the list grew, and then I acquired an editor, and uh, the quality of the writing uh, multiplied greatly, and Michael Johnson, our friend, began to, uh, shall we say, harass me about putting them into a book. And I drug my feet because, as I told you, I am not a writer. And eventually, uh, I think the good Lord just led me to kind of string these together in, under one topic, and, and that's how we got a book. 
And and um, tell us about the chapters. I mean, chapter one, it talks about, unfortunately, everyone is not a, a team player. And chapter two says, act like a team or fake it till you make it. Talk, talk about the essence of those two first chapters. Well, you know, life would be a lot easier if everybody wore a T-shirt with their personality type on it. And, and in the book I talk about, and it's actually a true story, the the public relations director of the last school district I worked called me one day, and she said, hey, I was driving down the road, saw a guy wearing a T-shirt, and said, not a team player. Well, if you knew up front which people were team players and which ones were not, it would be much easier to work with your team. Uh, for example, my young son is a cross-country runner, and, and while that is a, an individual sport, he performs much better when the team is cohesive and works together. So you take that and you go to the next level that as a leader, sometimes you inherit a herd of individuals who have never been a team. Well, you just got to act like you're a team. You got to do things like a team does. You've got to pretend that they are a team. And then what will happen is the team players will stay and grow. And the folks that are not comfortable in that environment one of two things will happen. They will either change and become team players or they'll move on. So sometimes you got to act like you're confident. Sometimes you got to act like you know what you're talking about. I'm not talking about false confidence or leading people astray, but I'm talking about belief and confidence that you're going to go in the right direction. And then as a good cowboy friend of mine said one day, if you take the wrong trail, well, you just cut across to the right one. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Mr. Mike Smith, who is the author of the book, It's All About Leadership, and it's a team sport. Uh, Mike, tell us a little bit about, is it the Starfish Foundation, of the, which is a subset of the Starlight Foundation? Yes, sir. The Starlight Foundation, uh, the Starfish Project, is a project where we support a school in a slum in India. I was privileged to go on a mission trip to India with our church a couple of years ago, and having worked in schools my whole life, we visited a school there that was, uh, the conditions were just beyond description. Uh, you know, it's about a 10-foot wide by 20-foot long building with poles stuck in the ground and, and didn't have anything but a dirt floor at that time. Teachers were teaching for free. Uh, one of them was riding a bus two hours each way and leaving her family. Uh, was a lawyer and, and went to work for free. The pastor that put it together had been an engineer Two of, the, two of the young men that taught there were college students and, and did this as volunteer work, and they were making a huge difference in people's lives. So we began to support that. I emailed some friends of mine. Uh, they began to donate money, and we put, began to put together a foundation. The Starlight Foundation, the name is based on a rock that grows in the shape of a cross. It grows in about five places in the world, and one of those is right outside Taos, New Mexico. As I told you earlier, I grew up running a summer camp in a rafting company about five miles from where starlights grow up there. So I'd seen these always. And if you, if you dig these rocks out of the foundation, some of them come up badly misshapen. Some of them come up as beautiful crosses, but every cross is different. Every rock is different. But they are all just really interesting. So my wife and I were driving down the road one day trying to come up with a name for the foundation, and we passed the entrance to the to the forest road where these rocks grow essentially and she said we should name it the starlight foundation but she was thinking starlight as in what you see at night from stars and i'm looking up this road at the starlight rocks 
<laughs> so that's how we got the foundation named. We have two projects to date. One is the Starfish Project. The other is we do a Wounded Warrior elk hunt in northern New Mexico. I was actually up there this past week with my partners. We were scouting for where we're going to hunt those guys this year, uh, walking out the country, finishing up some log- logistics for that. We are not associated with any of the national organizations, just me and a me and another fine Christian guy from Oklahoma were hunting one day, and we said, you know what, we ought to bring some wounded warriors up here. And next thing you know, we've been doing it two years now. And so the foundation's growing. It supports those two, and we believe they're ministries, but it does support them. Uh, we, don't, we don't do a lot of preaching in either one of them, but we, we do want to have an opportunity to show these true American heroes that we're appreciative, that we love them, and that God loves them. And we also want to give these children in India new hope. Uh, it's called the New Hope School. I didn't name the school, but uh, it's it's absolutely dead on. And you can go to, we have the Starfish Project has a Facebook page. Uh, anybody can email me. I'm sure you can give them my contact information Please later, do. or you can no, find let, it on Facebook. Let's do it now. Uh, let's give them the, the website URL. Well, the Starlight, I mean, we, we're just still growing. So you're using so Facebook, which is fine. Yep. Okay. We have, uh, it's actually the Starfish Project on Facebook. You can email me at Mike, M-I-K-E, at E-D-S-A-S dot com. Education Solutions and Services is our consulting company, and I'll be glad to uh, send you the link to the, to the Facebook page. We update that page, oh, once or twice a month with true stories of children and teachers that are involved in the school and how the school's making a difference in their life. The good Lord willing, by early spring, we will have a, a, a similar web page for the Wounded Warrior Elk Hunts and be able to give people updates to those as well. Well, that is that is a really, that is very important and such a beautiful thing that you're doing. I wanted to make sure that we got that in on this interview for the program. And your book is published by Odd Int uh, uh, Media Company. Is that correct? Yes, sir, it is. Okay. And where can folks find your book? You can find it on Amazon. Uh, you can get an electronic version or hard, hard copy on Amazon. All the proceeds that uh, my wife and I receive from the book go to fund the foundation. We don't take any money from the book. Um, so that helps fund these two projects as well as we take other donations, Daryl. Excellent, excellent. And, you know, this book, as I, as I was indicating or stating to the audience earlier, it is, it is a very short but succinct but powerful read. Are you planning to do uh, some public speaking on this book? Because hearing you uh, talk about the, the two chapters that we talked about, it brings it alive. Are you, are you planning to, to do any uh, national speaking? Uh, yes, sir. We'd, we'd love the opportunity to do that. Uh, in reality, I am a speaker. That's what I do. I'm not a writer. I'm very comfortable talking to folks. That That is a gift that God's given me. So writing was way out of my comfort zone. But it, it has really helped polish the rest of it. Yes, sir, I have had an opportunity to do a little bit of leadership training with some school districts. I uh, would love greater opportunities to speak on a national level. Uh, Michael Johnson, the publisher, and I right now are looking at book two. And uh, hopefully by Christmas, book two will be out there. I won't uh, give you too much on it, but it will have an outdoors theme. Oh, good. Everything, kind of everything I needed to learn about leadership, I learned on a ranch. That you... sort of idea. Excellent, excellent. Now, I have uh, a few questions I usually like to ask my guests 
what are, in your opinion, uh, what are the key traits of a great leader? Well, I believe first it's listening. Um, you know, I, I studied servant leadership under a man named Jim Boyd here in Texas, and Jim passed away a few years ago. He had studied at the Greenleaf Institute. The, the first, obviously, is communication, but prior to communication is vision. Vision is what gives the leader the lead. Without that vision of where the organization should go, uh, what it should do, what it should look like, what the organization should look like, there's no lead. Uh, we see too often organizations that they don't necessarily fail, but they don't succeed, if you understand the difference, because there's no leader, there's no vision. So leader, vision, communication, um, obviously trust. If you know, They have over and over studied organizations and what makes the biggest difference in leadership and people's look towards it, and it's trust. Now, if you ask any of us, we're going to tell you that we're trustworthy. But if we turn around and we ask the question again, does anybody not trust you? Well, then obviously you've got to answer that question, yes. So being a trust builder is necessary to leadership. A nurturer, as I told you all ago, one of the biggest reasons that this book is out there today is because of the encouragement I received from that first article a little over three years ago. We've got to nurture in people. We've got to help them grow. We've got to water. We've got to pull the weeds out of the way. We got to fertilize. We got to help them grow. And then finally, um, and Stephen Covey calls it sharpening the saw. Uh, we also hear it called as a work in progress. But we got to realize that none of us are there. You're not. I'm not. We, we've got to continually grow. We got to practice as well. We we go to the doctor. The doctor practices medicine. We go to see an attorney. They are practicing law. Well, we don't want anybody practicing on us, but that's what we do. Right. And we have to practice being the kind of person we want to be, the character we want to be, and we got to practice having leadership. And that, that kind of ties back to your earlier question about sometimes you got to fake it till you make it. Well, we got to practice being those things and, and those qualities we want to have. Yes, very good. Believe it or not, we have time for just one more question. And in your opinion, how does one prepare him or herself to be a great leader? Well, you told me I couldn't have any 10-second answers, and this is probably where one of those would fit. Okay. <laughs> but I, I don't know that I can do it in 10 seconds. But if you want to be a great leader, you got to be a great follower. And you got to follow great people of high character. Because we, we all, it's, it's a biblical principle, it, it is a practical principle, that in order to perform at a higher level, we've got to practice those rudimentary skills. Now we've all seen, and uh, we've all seen people who maybe didn't have a skill set of the organization they were leading, but because they were great leaders, great managers, which are not necessarily the same thing, they were able to lead those organizations. Leadership is a skill that we can learn through watching other leaders, surrounding ourselves with other leaders for attending with those other leaders, sharpening the saw, being a work in progress. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Mr. Mike Smith, who is the author. It's all about leadership, and it's a team sport. And is there a quote that you can close out our program with on leadership that you'd like to share with our audience? Well, I think if we go back to Proverbs, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. 
that that probably to me really sums up leadership. If, if you take that, that a step further uh, in Proverbs uh, twenty eighteen, it says, "Plans succeed through good counsel. Don't go to war without wise advice." That that's really what leadership's about. That's what leadership being a team sport is about. It, it's about people. It's about helping each other. It's about an atmosphere where we can have an open exchange of ideas. But I, I think those two quotes probably sum it up. Well, Mike, I want to thank you very much and uh, for your time today. And I look forward to having you back to talk about that next book because I tell you, I love horses and I love cowboys, so I'm looking forward to some cow- some more cowboy wisdom. Thank you, sir. Thank you for your time. Very good. Ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up for this weekend. This is Darrell Gunter, your host of Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM, Seton Hall University, and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Remember, you can catch us on iTunes at iTunes U. Look under iTunes U for Seton Hall University. Look for the program Leadership, and it's free. So, this is Darrell Gunter, your host of Leadership. Remember, leadership begins with you. Have a great weekend.